And welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans who love America. Well, it's that time, November, some people are calling it Rovember, November 8th, the general election for California. Um, I've got my booklets, my thick, thick booklets (laughs) of the California general election guide and city and county San Francisco, equally as thick, if not more. A lot of reading to do. Um, I delve. I'm pretty good at picking out the flaws and arguments. That's why I was originally going to become a lawyer. And then I decided you really have to just only enjoy that pretty much to become a lawyer. And I really don't enjoy it all that much. I just am good at it. Um, And also give some pointers to you out there listening listening listeners either whether you're republican or democrat or independent to just kind of clarify the different propositions that are going on this election as well as uh, some of the false arguments so a lot of what discourages voters is frankly you do need to have critical thinking i know not everybody does And some people just look off endorsements, you know, whatever their party uh, platform endorses, they robotically check the box or they uh, look at, you know, specific endorsers that they enjoy or support and think, well, if that person goes for it, I must go for it. Inference, inference choice, right? Choice by inference of somebody else's endorsement. Um, But it's always great to know why you vote, It's good to vote at all. First, baseline is just voting at all. Getting people to vote at all (laughs) is the main goal. Uh, Typically, that's a harder, harder task for Democrats than Republicans who seem to be able to dream voting and show up and often get uh, a lot of things accomplished because they're voting, because voting is participation in your government. Um, Harder sometimes for my Democrats uh, to do that, and so sometimes we resort to less uh, less than ethical schemes to try to push issues to get people to vote. It could be a high uh, emotional issue that would spark engagement, but it also can be manipulated. Uh, So we have to watch for that. And it also can be scare tactics on both sides, frankly, not just Republican, but on both sides to uh, kind of, you know, fool fool the voter and manipulate them by the wording of the arguments, by the intention. So it is, is not an easy deal. If and it's probably a lot of why people just say I'm just too unintelligent for this. I can't I don't know who to vote for. I don't know what to vote for. It all seems very convoluted. Um so, you know, I'm going to try to help you with that with this podcast. In terms of at least explaining the issues, you vote how you want. The main thing is to participate. You don't have to have 100% conviction uh, in every single candidate and or ballot measure and or proposition to participate in your government. It's so important to participate at all because um, government responds to numbers and policy is shaped by those participating in the government. Okay, so if you feel sometimes that the Republicans have an edge, that a lot of times they get a lot done, well, they're participating in the government and they're voting. You know, this is an equal opportunity for Democrats to participate equally as well. 
So, you know, try not to get too hung up on whether you're fully 100% behind every candidate, every measure, every ballot, every proposition. Just participate, show up. And I don't even mean at the polls. Ballot return envelope, very convenient. That's how I do it. I'm tired of, you know, being at the polls. Um, The whole issues of voter suppression. I don't know if it would be an issue if everybody voted ballot return envelope. Who's suppressing you in your own house? Who's suppressing you at the mailbox? Probably no one. So just saying. So that is the opener for this. We're just going to go through the California one. And then I'm going to dedicate a separate episode to go through the San Francisco city and county (laughs) monumental amount of information. It's always a journey to go through all of what they have to deal with too, city and county propositions. It's a lot. They're very active and also somewhat convoluting. You know, you can say affordable housing. Well, everybody's for affordable housing, but then when you read the fine print and you get into it, you go, oh, it's a development scheme. Oh, forget it. Then not, we want affordable housing, not that kind. So it does take a discerning eye. Listen, this is frustrating. It's, it's so frustrating you know, we don't have a parliament government. We don't have a very more streamlined, simplified way of engaging our populace. So we just have to do the best we can, right? Um, and be aware for these types of uh, manipulation on emotional issues, you know. Anyway, so let's go through it. Um, let's see. Let's start with Proposition 1. Proposition 1 is the hot emotional issue of the year. They're calling it Rovember um, because it has to do with um, uh, abortion issues. Okay. So at first glance, it all sounds very in line with party goals if you're a Democrat and you are pro-choice. I am a Democrat. I am pro-choice. What I am starting to realize, as many Dems are starting to realize, is that it's no longer a matter of pro-choice, pro-life. Now we have to qualify, when exactly is there a limit on choice? Is it unlimited choice? Is pro-choice an unlimited choice? Or are there certain situations where there are reasonable limits imposed on choice? If so, what are those limits? So this is kind of the issue that Lindsey Graham has brought up within his own moderate conservative uh, Republican Party. Unfortunately, he did a crazy name for it called Total Ban, on a, which is a terrible mistake that he called that. But he did that as a little bit of a sneaky trick to enfranchise the far right, thinking they wouldn't read what he's actually writing. Because what he actually wrote was basically an outline for the platform, the Democratic Party, and our votes on how we vote on abortion, which is... No, most Democrats are not for late-term, healthy baby, healthy mom, no issues, no problems. Oh, I think it's seven months, I'll go get an abortion now because I'm going to exercise my choice. Most Democrats understand that that's a breach and that, no, it's a viable human being. You can't just go do that. Okay, most. Okay, but the problem is, is that we're in this era now where there's no common sense, no common decency, one could argue. And everything is litigious and needs to be spelled out by the letter of the law. I don't like it. I remember the old days. But in some ways, it is good to be very specific about 
clarifying, in ter- especially with anything to do with the law, of what proposition one is trying to do. And you cannot make inferences, assumptions, beliefs, oh, well, they don't really mean that. You can't, all of that is gone now. And language has to be incredibly clear. And so I do believe <clears throat> that is what Lindsey Graham was trying to do with his uh, total, bur- total ban on late-term abortions. And he made exceptions for, what, rape, incest, and medical um, harm to either the baby or the mother. And that after 15 weeks, hey, you don't get to just decide to exercise your choice with a healthy fetus and, a hel- and no damage to the mom, um, except for those exceptions, that, but that, I mean, it's a very democratic platform position that Lindsey Graham developed, but he, he packaged it in a labeling that's so far right incendiary that now it's all gotten confused. Even Joe Biden's publicist in Instagram was against it. But if you actually read it, it's very much in line with the Democratic Party. Now, why would Lindsey even bother? What's he, he got nothing to do? Why is Lindsey Graham getting involved? He, and I did a previous podcast on this episode but I'm reframing it to kind of delve into uh, prop one. You know, he understands like a lot of Republicans understands that Trump and the far right have usurped the party. They have taken over. They are the mob. They are the MAGA mob and they are not going away anytime soon. However, it's at great dissonance with other conservatives and Republicans in the party who do not want to be under that thumb anymore. Mitch McConnell, most obvious example in the recent spats between Trump trying to throw digs and racial insults at his wife, Elaine Chao, who's Taiwanese calling her made in China and all that. You know, should, as we all understand, Taiwan is a separate independent government from China and then other people think one China policy, whatever. Either way, it was a racist dig, and Mitch McConnell has not called that out. But that why why has he not called that out? Republicans in the central and conservative uh, persuasion understand the force and volume and potential power of the far right, and they're afraid of them, quite frankly. A lot of them are quite, you know, they're afraid of them. So Lindsay, in this abortion debate, was trying to make a a line in the sand to basically say, these are reasonable limits on choice. I'm spelling it out. Essentially, it is what the Democrats believe and have believed the entire time. Um, But, oh, we can't call it a Democratic agenda because I'm Republican. So I'm going to just put the title total ban on abortions after after 15 weeks to maybe get a few of the far writers who aren't too busy to bother to read the document um, on my team here. So, I mean, I have to say his heart was in the right place, but his uh, the way he delivered it to women was totally callous, you know, and very condescending with the ladies. Ladies, I'm saying 15 weeks, ladies. 15 weeks, 16 weeks, is there such a, is it really a big difference? 14, four months is easier to remember than 15 weeks, frankly. Don't know why he chose that rando number. Plus, um, you know, the, the misguided name label wasn't necessarily needed. He could have called it the reasonable limits on abortion. That would have been a better title. Um, but anyhow, here we are. So now, now it's come down to the fact of when we say we are pro-choice, and I am, what does that mean? 
pro-choice all the way, no limitations on choice whatsoever. Well, California law does not say that. California law clearly states that no, late-term abortions are not permitted if the, if the fetus is a viable and can live outside in the environment outside of the mother, then no, you cannot have an abortion. California law, existing California law today says that already. But is that talked about in this argument and debate? No, it's not. It's, we're we're going to read it here, though, in the booklet. It's not talked about that. So this is kind of a manipulation where we Dems know that this is a highly emotional, high engagement issue. So we're going to milk it for all we get to engage as many as we can. I, I can't begrudge my Dems for doing this because it is awful that we have to pull such stunts to get people to vote. That's I, I don't like it. I'm sure they don't like it. You know, just leaving and omitting things out of the argument to try to in- ensure people are actually going to vote. Sure, okay, but it's it's not the honest truth, okay? So the concerns that pro-lifers have and the concerns that I have, even though I'm not, I don't qualify myself as a pro-lifer, I call myself, I guess, a pro-choice with reasonable limits on choice. So I, I am for the Lindsey Graham total abortion ban um, after 15 weeks, except for the rape and incest and uh, medical issues. And that even I have some problems with the incest and rape part. But, you know, I can see why people would have a hard time wanting to carry a pregnancy on that. The issue mostly has to do with when is it no longer just cells in a woman's body that she has rightfully claimed as her property, which she should, you know, whatever your religious beliefs on this, the fact of the matter is however you believe God is uh, creating the situation here, the property of those cells is the woman's, clearly, right? This is just the design of creation. So when is it the clump of cells in a woman's body, in the woman's uterus, rather, the fetus, when is it when does that change from this is your property to now? This is a sentient, independent human person that uh, could be murdered because of your choice or you exercising your choice. And this is really the issue that we're eventually hearing more people come out to talk about. Obviously, Lindsey Graham from the Republican side with his sham title of that, but nuts and bolts agreeing with us. Uh, Sarah Silverman's talked about, you know, obviously not a seven month we're going to do this. Well, it's not obvious, Sarah. It's not obvious unless it's legally in there. Um, I appreciate Brandy and uh, Julie's Dumb Gay Podcast is the name of their uh, Dumb Gay Political Podcast, I think it's called, or Dumb Gay Podcast. But it's really good. It's a comedy sketch um, as well as political issues that they talk about. And they addressed it too. Julie was very passionate about this issue and talked about how obviously, she says, obviously, we're not going to be applying this to an eight-month healthy baby and healthy, obviously. But again, they're older like me. Sarah's older like me. It's obvious to us Gen Xers who lived in the era of common sense and lived in the era of common decency. Guess what, folks? Not obvious now. Now we're in the legality and the specifics and particularly millennials, they like specifics. 
It isn't enough to just make grand assumptions and grand uh, beliefs. They want to know nuts and bolts. And if you're dealing with the law, that's totally fair. So no, it isn't any longer an assumption that, well, of course, it's obvious that that's a person at seven or eight months. And if there's no skull defect, like that one example that was in the news, or, you know, the baby's healthy. No, yeah, a woman should not be able to just decide with her doctor, I want no more to do with this, kill it. Obviously not. Nor should the doctor of his or her own free choice decide, oh, yeah, that's a fine Uh, it's a fine thing to do. Let's go ahead and kill or not. That is also rather subject to interpretation by provider. And it's not always based on medical. It could be based on the provider's own beliefs, which could interfere. So all of this, it boils down to the fact that the abortion debate has to be very specific now, like specific, specific, specific. And anything that wants to come along and change those specifics and make them general and vague again is to be watched for. So not a lot of people know that California law has those specifics as it is now on the books. And Proposition 1, that is languaged as I've read it, um, is more of a reassertion of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, Wayne, sorry, Roe versus Wade on um, the what do you call it? Supreme Court. And it's our affirmation of choice. But we don't need to do that because we already have that on our California Constitution. So why reinvent the wheel, so to speak, in California for Prop 1 to reaffirm what we already have and change in our California Constitution, these you know unequivocal rights to blah, 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 when it's already there? So the rebuttal is, it's already there. Women already have free choice. But it's what it's doing with the Prop 1 is it's making it vague and it's allowing for the possibility, it's not a fear tactic, it's a language tactic, that um, there's going to be no more limits on any kind of choice. So that feasibly, a woman who's eight months pregnant who no longer wants to have the baby, maybe she has postpartum depression, maybe, or sorry, she wouldn't have postpartum depression. Maybe she has depression. Maybe she has some other kind of mental health illness, whatever, and decides, I can't take this. Uh, It's eight months, I'm done. Doctor says, but your baby's fine. Your baby's fine. Uh, you're, you're not going to be in danger of, of delivering this child. It's fine. Oh, I don't care. I want to exercise my choice because I just can't deal. And I don't want to go through the ab- adoption process. So just, you know, dismember it and call it my choice. So essentially the language of, of Prop 1 does that. It's it's It doesn't specify the protections of that type of situation. So I'm going to have to vote no on Prop 1 myself, even though I'm pro-choice and I am for reasonable limits on choice. I think the first trimester, even up to four months, the, the woman has complete autonomy over or should have complete autonomy over her body and her choice. But the choice is not limitless choice. There does come a point where um, now it's a person. You can, you know, You can have all the reasons in the world why that didn't get that choice wasn't made earlier, but now we're dealing with a person, so the state and the government have to protect the person. 
not the not the woman. So this is a dance, isn't it? It's a balance. It's a it's a it's a power share. It's when is it your sole power? Then when does that power get transferred to the government? If you don't um, decide to keep the baby and there's no reason to abort it, these are these are the brass tacks. Let's go into the details. Okay. Prop one. This is the summary in the beginning on page five. Yes vote means measure explains the California Constitution would be changed to expressly include existing rights to reproductive freedom, such as the right to choose whether or not to have an abortion and use contraceptives. Well, have an abortion when? It doesn't specify that. That should be specified. It's generalized. The contraceptive issues, obviously, it, you know, everyone can use contraception. Contraception is not... Even Marjorie Taylor Greene and Mike Pence said we're not coming for contraception. We're not interested in contraception. We're also not coming for gay marriage. Who said, oh, maybe contraception should be on the table? Hmm, might have to roll back that gay marriage thing. That would be Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. We all know. So it's not coming from even the radical far right. Marjorie, I consider Marjorie Taylor Greene radical far right. She's even saying, we're not talking about contraception. We're not talking about gay marriage. Those are off the table. We're talking about just this late term issue. Um, and Clarence Thomas, you know, I wish he was off the Supreme Court, frankly. I think because he is the steam driver of those issues that have brought it into the conversation of everyday people, he's the one with the problem, not the party, so to speak. Okay, so Lindsay's, again, Lindsay's whole creation of it was try to, was to try to show how much he is not like Clarence Thomas, how much the Republican Party does not support Clarence Thomas in this, except the far-right religious extremists. Okay. The no vote on this measure means the California Constitution would not be changed to expressly include existing rights to reproductive freedom. These rights, however, would continue to exist under other state law. Arguments, pro and con. Okay, yes on one protects individual choices on reproductive care and rights to choose and have an abortion, keeping medical decisions where they belong between a patient and their doctor. Yes on one. Sounds very reasonable, right? Again, it doesn't specify the choice ending limit time. When does that no longer become a woman's choice or a doctor's choice? It can't just be the whim of a doctor. Doctor would have to show medical need, right? So is there wiggle room in there for, for you know, very religious doctors to kind of just promote their agenda? There is. Or those that want abortion for whatever reason, without the medical justification? There is. There's wiggle room there. We're talking about legal issues. Everything needs to be specific. Con, prop. One is an extreme law that allows late-term abortions at taxpayer expense up to the moment of birth, even if the baby is healthy and the mother's health is not threatened. Current California law already guarantees a woman's right to choose, making this extreme costly proposal unnecessary. Right. I agree with that. So let's go further. Deep dive. Might have to spend a whole episode on Prop 1 alone and go over the rest. Okay, let's get into the weeds. Prop 1, page 12, Constitutional Right to Reproductive Freedom Legislative Constitutional Amendment. 
Okay, I'm going to read my underlying sections. Analysis by legislative analyst. In addition, abortions can not can in addition, abortions can only be performed on a viable fetus if the pregnancy puts the life or health of the person who is pregnant at risk. Under state law, a fetus is considered viable if the fetus likely would be able to survive outside the uterus. And my notes were which is determined by duration of the gestation. Provider's opinion, it's too open-ended. Okay. Prop 1. The state cannot deny or interfere with a person's reproductive freedom and that people have the fundamental right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. And I put in the side notes, until what month in gestation? Seven, eight, nine. Whether or not to use contraceptions. I put no controversy there. That's just the clarification of this proposal. Okay, so arguments in favor of Prop 1, California Medical Association, Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California, which I support the Planned Parenthood, by the way, and the League of Women Voters of California support Prop 1 because no matter who or what political party controls the government, a person's right to an abortion or contraceptives should be protected in California. So see how it's already languaging, broad, applicable possibilities for the seventh, eighth, nine-month healthy abortion. You get my point. Because they're not specific, because they're just saying unlimited total freedom of choice of the woman. Well, it's not a robot in there. It's a living human being at some point in the gestation journey, folks. Okay? So I don't like that. I don't like that, and I'm pro-choice, and I don't like that. Um, because it negates the rights of the infant. And there is such a thing called infanticide. Just because it happens with in, in, in the womb versus out of the womb, it's not infanticide at a couple of cells. For some religious extremists, sure, that would also be considered infanticide because they believe you know life begins at conception. But the majority of us do not believe that. The majority of us do not have those extreme religious be- beliefs the Republican Party, majority of them do not have those extreme religious beliefs. And that's what Lindsay's trying to say. But he was sloppy with his wording. Um, and that's why Marjorie and Mike Pence came out in support of Lindsay in that and said, yes, this is, a, this is reflecting the majority of the Republicans' beliefs, too. So um, they're trying to distance themselves from the, the religious far right that just wants total handmaid's tale. I mean, total control over women, total choice taken away. That's the opposite. So this is the like polar opposite of that. So we have these two polarized points of view. We have the far-right religious handmaid's tale group who wants to basically strip women of all choice rights at all, which is uh, terribly fascist and unconscionable. And then we have the opposite, this Prop 1, who wants to do a backlash and go, guess what? We're taking every single choice and everything now is in the power of the woman. Well, no. <laughs> and what if the woman has a mental health issue and there's a perfectly healthy nine, seven to eight month, nine month baby and she just is in a bad mood and decides she wants an abortion and then gets a doctor who goes along with it? I mean, no, that's infanticide. That's murder. Clearly. Clearly to most of us. But if it's not specified in law, then it's allowed. And that this is where we're at in society now. We're at this like needing specificity on everything. 
So sorry, Julie Brandy. Sorry, Sarah Silverman. Michael Moore never touches this with a 10 foot pole. He always glosses over and again goes the extreme women's right all the way. Not all the way, always in every circumstance, 100 always. Let's not be unreasonable here. Okay. Um, so that's what Prop 1 is trying to do. Rebuttal to Prop 1. California law already allows access to abortion. It's on page 14. And contraception, says constitutional attorney Heather Hacker. But unlike state law, which limits late-term abortions, unless medically necessary, Prop 1 has no limit on late-term abortions. See what I'm saying? This is how it's different. Because they're, they're glossing over and they're not getting specific about the language, it opens the door for this type of misuse of choice. Okay. Equally untrue are claims that Prop 1 limits late-term abortions. It does not. Read Prop 1 for yourself. It contains no language limiting late-term abortions, right? Nor does it prevent tax money from being used to fund that. I don't mind about the tax money, and frankly, I support Planned Parenthood, so I don't mind about the funding. I I have a problem severely with this open-ended choice that could be misused. I'm sorry, for satanic cults. You think they don't exist? They absolutely do. And, you know, the dark witches that used to use and probably still do child sacrifice. You think that that couldn't happen? It 100% could happen and has happened. And, you know, this is a safeguarding from some of that, too, so that there is some criminal um, teeth behind it. So if we don't specify this kind of limit on choice, it opens the door for those groups. I'm going to just call it out. We don't have to like it, but they exist all over the world, have for a long, long, long time. These groups to have a doorway to go, oh, so I can use the doorway of choice, can I, for my child sacrifice rituals? Okay. Ha, 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 ha. You think it's just fantasy? It's not. I'm sorry. Um, so we have to be very specific about anything legal. Newsflash. That should be very obvious anyway, right? Probably, let's go through the arguments. That, here's another argument. Oh, yeah, before that other argument was by Shannon um, Udovic, Constant MD. Uh, that was the one for the limitless choice. What would the doctor's advantage be? Well, if they don't have to make a call on it, then they're absolved from any consequences of it. So I don't know that they're the best opinion makers on this, even though they're they're actually doing the procedures and providing the care. You know, if everything's just a free-for-all, is that not easier on the doctor? Sure. So would they be in favor of it? Sure. Political um, points made here. Uh, Jody Hicks, president, Planned Parenthood, affiliates of California, supported that. Carolyn Goldberg, president, League of Women Voters, California, voted for that. So, you know, I don't know if this is a backlash to the Roe Ro versus Wade overturning by a few Supreme Court justices who do not reflect the majority of the Republican Party, by the way. Um, and if it's just an over-emotional FU to them, it feels like it is. But I still don't like it because it still leaves that room for the lack of protection for a viable infant that doesn't have an advocate. You know, that seventh, eighth, nine-month-old baby in there has no advocate if the woman just decides that day, eh, I'm going to off you. Yeah, I don't have the rape reason, don't have the incest, don't have that. I'm just deciding to off you today. 
Well, I think that infants should have protection from the government. Most people do. So, you know, I would think rather than Lindsay putting forth his own version with the sloppy title and rude, rude and uh, publicity to the to the women, have a bipartisan group of Democrats and Republicans redraft his initial, label it reasonable limits on choice. Okay, and calm down the extremes and just get to the brass tacks of when we're going to set some reasonable limits here and for why. Okay, rebuttal. This is page 14. Oh, I already did that one. And that was Allison Martinez, Executive Director, California Alliance of Pregnancy Care, Brad Dacus, President, Pacific Justice Institute, Dr. Vane and Wong, and uh, Wong, gynecologist. So you can see here even doctors are on different sides of the aisle about this. Okay, next argument. This one is from Anne and Marie Adams. I'll do the intros at first. A gynecologist. We have a lot of doctors weighing in on this. Tuck Allen, President, International Faith-Based Coalition. Assemblymember Jim Patterson, argument against Prop 1. I'm going to just read the notes. Prop 1 is an extreme, expensive, and pointless waste of tax money that will allow unrestricted late-term abortions, costing taxpayers millions. This is not the answer. Prop 1 was put on the ballot for one reason, to scare political point, score political points, not to make serious policy. Well, I would not argue that. I would say Prop 1 was put on the ballot to try to... Um, kick us Dems up off the couch and get us to vote. I would say that, voting ploy. Women already have the right to choose under current California law. (laughs) The recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling did not, nor will not, change this. Prop 1 is not needed to protect women's health and their reproduction rights. Abortions are already legal in California with reasonable limits on late-term abortions, which are allowed if medically necessary to protect the life or the health of the mother. Prop 1 will destroy this important balance and bake the most extreme abortion law possible into our state constitution. Prop 1 will will allow late-term abortions at taxpayer expense without limitation for any reason at any time up to the moment of birth, even when the mother's life is not in danger, even when the healthy baby could survive outside the womb. Instead of preserving our state's compassionate and careful balance limits on late-term abortions, Prop 1 will push California far outside the mainstream. Today, most states in 47 European countries limit late-term abortions, including California. Recent Harris poll found that 90% of Americans support limits on late-term abortions. Yeah, most of us do, 90% of Americans support limits on late-term abortions. So this is why we can't allow the polarized groups, both Dem and, and Republican, to vague out the language. We have to hold them accountable, both sides, and go specific, specific, specifics, and reach this, as they say, balance of power here. Rebuttal. Rebuttal is by Sandy Redding, RN, President of California Nurses Association, Kelly McHugh, MD District uh, 9 Chair, American Colleges of Obstetricians and Oncologists, and Carrie Franklin, JD, Faculty Director, UCLA Health and Reproductive Health Law and Policy. Um, Prop 1 ensures reproductive health care, including right to abortion, is protected in the state constitution. This amendment explicitly defines the state constitution that people have the freedom to access abortions and contraceptions. Okay, that's the opening statement. So again, no limits, just free for all, whenever you want. Well, that's, no. Mm. 
Existing California law provides that women have the right to choose to have an abortion prior to viability or to protect the woman's life or health. Proposition 1 will not change that. Don't fall for the scare tactics from the opponents. Prop 1 simply amends the state constitution to prohibit interference with individual choices on reproductive health care and the fundamental right to choose have been to have an abortion. And I put in my notes here, then why not specify no choice on late-term abortions if all are healthy? So, no, I don't just believe that Prop 1 will not change that. Prop 1 will change that because the legal explanation is not specific. So I do believe that it is a rallying cry to get Dems off the couch to vote. Um, yeah, so, you know, this is, this is a tricky a tricky topic um, because anytime you say the word abortion, it brings up a lot of different feelings. It brings up women that have had abortions and maybe feel good about them, maybe feel bad about them, regret them, or just knew they made the right decision and such. And most of these are happening along in, in pre-late term you know, environment. But I think that the point is this, every argument, every political issue at some time in history evolves, and you have to get more specific. It's, it's, it's not similar, but I want to say, even racial issues in America have evolved, you know, it used to be the popular and very liberal thing to say, for Gen X and boomers that, oh, I just don't see color. It was considered the progressive point of view at that time to say to a black person or anyone of color, I just don't see color. I just see you. I don't look at your race. I don't look at your culture. I don't look at that. See, I'm evolved. I'm a evolved white person. I just look at you as a human being. I look at you as we both have, we both bleed red and all of these, you know, kind of glossing over and skipping steps um, to looking at someone as just a spiritual being or looking at someone as just a soul or just a, just a human and, and, and intending to connect with that. But as the backlash came later, as more and more people of color in the BIPOC community said, we see you're trying to be of good intentions, white liberals, but in so doing, you're negating our very selves. You're negating our culture. You're negating that we identify as black. We don't want to be not seen. When you say, I don't see color, then you are not seeing me. Now, but that you have to understand, like at that point, prior to white libs at that time saying, and with very well-meaning intentions, I don't see color. Prior to that was everything was only seeing the color and then subsequently discriminating, right? So we could all look back in, in 2020 as, you know, hindsight is 2020, look back and go, wow, that was really dismissive of everybody BIPOC to say we don't see color. But that was the catchphrase of the 90s. Sorry, I lived it. I saw it. I don't know if I believed it. I, I, I got the point of it. The point was just see people as people, not race. And then therefore, everybody will magically get along. Abracadabra. It will all just be fine. Well, it was not fine as we see this. So this is an example of an argument that started out to be well-intended and, you know, trying to ensure equity that backfired because it wasn't respectful or, you know, involving the views of the people of which that was put on 
I don't see color. So abortion, you know, hey, this issue has been around a very long time, but not hundreds and hundreds of years, not founding father's days, obviously, but recently, well, since the advent of birth control for women, when women can finally have a lot more power and autonomy over their sexual reproductive um, abilities, it suddenly became such a priority to a lot of often white men, but not just white men who went, wait a minute, now you have a lot more control over your body. Huh. Hmm. We used to have the say on that. And now you have these pills you can take. In 1962, I think, or 1963, the birth control pill was it. Now, ooh, so you can kind of have more control and to say whether you get pregnant or not. Hmm. <sighs> And it was that same time that LGBT people were advancing in power in society, like Harvey Milk, to positions of influence in the government, to also go, yes, you will share the pie with us too. And these two forces of women and LGBTQIA um, sharing the pie of power really backlashed a lot of mostly white males that started these targeted wars on abortion and all things anti-LGBTQ. And why? Well, before they didn't have to share the power that much. Really. It was a white man's world. It was the white man's day and often still is. But that era came in to go, you're going to share. You're not going to hog it all for yourself. You're going to have to share with these groups and that sparked a lot of this like religious enfranchisement into, come on, support us. They're, these groups are not staying in their place. You know, we got to remind them where their place is. And so all of these like social justice, power, cha power sharing issues are related, I feel like. So that means we always have to reexamine, you know, what is this, this issue? I don't believe in no limits on choice for abortion. No, I don't celebrate a woman's total right to choose in every aspect of every type of pregnancy ever. No, I don't know any conscious stems if they were really put on the spot and grilled, and they should be, that would believe that. So debates such as if you have a healthy seventh, eighth, nine month gestation, are you honestly saying you would support a woman's right to choose even at the moment of birth? to have an abortion. And then, you know, what the Dems have been saying lately is, oh, of course not. How stupid could you be? We would obviously never do that, but it's not reflected in the language of Prop 1. So we can't play that anymore, folks. No, it needs to be spelled out. It, we can't just laugh it off and go, oh, you worry too much. Of course, that's very, that's not going to work, especially not going to work with Gen Y, who is all about specifics concrete clarity who doesn't make they don't do grand assumptions um, and I, I'm not sure about Gen Z but probably they don't either we can't just take that for granted anymore that oh it's obvious it's not obvious okay so I'm voting no on one because California has healthy abortion laws already on we don't need to reinvent the wheel I see this as a trick of my own party to try to get people up off the couch to vote and I just think we need to approach this in other ways but this is an easy grab because it's an emotionally charging issue that will motivate people to participate we need to find other ways that we can do that without taking away um, reasonable limits on choice, frankly. 
So do I mostly vote pro-choice? I mostly always do. Can I do that with good conscience in this language of Prop 1? 100% no. 100% no. But if you have a woman up to, you know, four, four months and she says, I just can't do this, I'm going to say, this is your choice between you and your doctor and your God. I have no say in this. I would never say the same thing at, at her, that same scenario with a person seven, eight, nine months. I would say, you know what? You had a lot of time there. You could have peed on the stick test once a month just to be sure. And by the way, people should be doing that. We're going to talk about female empowerment. We're going to talk about, you know, women. And I'm, I've considered myself a feminist, you know, being standing on your own two feet if you can, doing the best you can to climb so you can stand on your own two feet. That, that includes a lot more responsibility in your sexual health, which means you get those stick tests and you pee on them once a month just to be sure. There's no reason not to. And I think they should be provided for free for those who can't afford it. So I support Planned Parenthood for that. But EPT, stick test, whatever, it's actually active. You're letting a man ejaculate into you, which, by the way, you don't have to do that. And by the way, you'll subsequently avoid any of the um, infections. A lot of people get those kinds of, well, not always, but get those, um, you know, um, UTIs from that irritation. So that's an added benefit. You can have wonderful lovemaking and not have to have, you know, all of the baby batter, so to speak, in there. If you're going to do that, that's up to you. Um, At the same time, uh, then you're going to need to be extra diligent by peeing on the stick test and making sure that you're not pregnant, right? I would just recommend don't even allow that part. Nothing wrong with being creative with the finishing moments outside of your body, right? Which will help reduce the risk of pregnancy, but not eliminate it. It's not going to eliminate it, but it's an option you could do to reduce. Um, And I think that is not talked about either in this discussion about ways to reduce. Certainly, if you have many more millions of sperm, you're going to have many more increased chance versus not. That's just common math. Um, common sense and math. What else? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm dis. I empathize and I'm disappointed at the same time in my party with this proposition one because um, we have to find other ways to get people to vote in our party. I don't know what it is. We could maybe put a proposition for compulsory voting. <laughs> Has anyone considered that? I mean, you know hey, you know, we could penalize people for not voting and say, you will vote. We don't care how you vote, but you will vote. If not, you get a bill in the mail from the government saying, here's your penalty fee. I mean, we could do that. I'm just saying there's other ways to enfranchise people to vote, or you could reward them, get a discount on the tax, you know, fear of punishment, you could do model, which is not the optimal, or you could do reward, which is you get an extra two or $300 as a thank you from the government for voting. People would do that, monetary rewards. We can do other ways of, of getting um, people to the polls slash the ballot in the, in the envelope returned in the mail rather than skewing an issue to, to do that, which is what I think is behind the scenes on this. Okay, let's try to go through. The others are pretty straightforward. One is one of the most convoluted. There's, there's some others, though, that are a little bit... Online gambling is a big issue in the native tribes. So on tribal land, they are allowed to have online gambling. Uh, 
And this is a potential for expansion of that and expansion of revenue for the tribes. And anytime the tribes get expanded revenue, then they can be more self-sufficient and help their help their community. And all of us are on native land. We just celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday, last Monday. You know, um, there's progress in getting the native land returned. Sacred sites need to be number one on that. But this is another way to help the tribes to help themselves. What could be more American than that? And um, uh, expanding for allowing of gambling in different types of games, roulette, dice, sports, wagering, and tribal lands. So I'm voting yes on 26 for this because it enhances the tribe's ability to become self-sufficient, which is what they want anyway. They want no part of our government at all. They want us to be self-sufficient. And I think it's kind of a sweet justice as portrayed in the show Yellowstone, which is a great show, which features this very issue, um, for us to kind of literally pay them back and and have some fun doing so. I didn't even have any underlines. Pretty straightforward. Authorizes in-person um, wagering on tribal lands. Yeah. So... Why is this a thing? Um, reinforces, well, the tribal lands have restrictions right now on what they can offer. So currently they cannot offer in-person roulette, dice, sports wagering, and tribal lands. So this would allow them. So I would say vote yes on 26 if you support the tribes, so, supported by most all of the tribes. Then we have right, right after that, so interesting, Prop 27 which has gotten a lot of publicity on TV. I'm sure you've seen the commercials. So that one um, allows online and mobile sports wagering outside tribal lands. So I'm voting no on 27 because most California tribes do not support Prop 27. They understand that this is opening the door for other groups um, to take revenue essentially from their business and from their ability to be self-sufficient. There's like a handful of California tribes that support it, like three. It's not that many. I'm trying to find my notes here. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, 27. Yes vote means licensed tribes or gambling companies could offer online sports betting over the internet and mobile devices to people 21 years of age and older on non-tribal lands in California. Proposition 27 is supported by California tribes. It's not only a few homeless and mental health experts. Con, Prop 27 is a deceptive scheme and funded by out-of-state gambling corporations to legalize a massive expansion of online mobile sports gambling. Prop 27 is not a solution to homelessness. 90% of the profits would go to out-of-state corporations. Prop 27 is opposed by 50-plus California tribes. Right, so it's another chance of our government, frankly, to screw them over yet again. No, no, no nothing new there. Um, you know, maybe they think that they're they, they're good enough now, like they have enough. Well, no, they don't. Excuse me, they do not. So, absolutely not for that. And I'll just go back to the twenty six again. I found now that I found my notes. Yes, vote means Prop twenty six supports Indian self reliance by providing revenue for. Tribal education, healthcare, other vital services. Stand with the tribes, yes, on 26. Con is Prop 26 is sponsored by five wealthy gaming tribes who want to expand their monopoly on gambling to include sports betting. Same time, Prop 26 will devastate other communities of color. No on top Prop 26. Agreed. 
Okay, now the other obvious ones, Prop Prop 28, provides additional funding for arts and music education in public schools. There's no rebuttal whatsoever on it. What I know from the science of art and music education, and I was both involved in both art and singing. I took art in high school, and I was part of choir for many years, even though I've lost my voice since. But you know what? Um, Art and music are engaging activities that can give kids... Um, self-esteem, leadership opportunities. Um, There's a connection between being good at music and being good at math. Math's really important for college entry. Um, Arts is creative. Anytime you engage somebody's creativity, that spills over into entrepreneurship, ingenuity, business skills, um, self-esteem. You know, arts and music have um, historically been undervalued. And our public, and they just stuck with reading, writing, arithmetic. Well, we're not robots; we're humans. And to nurture somebody's creative arts, whether that be music or the plastic arts, as we call them, or pottery, or um, dance, um, creative theater, drama, these are things that engage the whole person and the whole brain too. There's a lot of brain activity that happens when you're in uh, funding, you know, funding programs that have the arts and music. They typically do better, those students typically do better in a lot of other subjects. So I think only recently um, is it being recognized as essential. There's been tons of movies on it in public media, and it's always been the first thing on the chopping block for a lot of the Republicans to cut. So let's vote yes, shall we, on 28 to support our kids public schools. Number 29, this is a tricky one. So Prop 29 requires on-site licensed medical professional at kidney dialysis clinics and establishes other state requirements. This is a real tricky one. This one, because from a layperson's point of view, you're thinking, well, this sounds really fair. I mean, wouldn't they need to have a doctor, nurse, practitioner, other physician on site during the treatment? That sounds responsible. Wait, you mean there's just these clinicians that are renegade, that there's no there's no one with a licensed doctor or title watching over them? This could be dangerous to the dialysis patients. Well, no, not necessarily. Arguments pro. Dialysis patients deserve protection under the law. Prop 29, well help ensure they receive safe treatment in dialysis clinics under the care of a doctor or highly trained clinician in case of emergencies without risk of infection, without discrimination. I put on my notes, sound safety oriented. Con, join dialysis patients, American Nurses Association, California Medical Association, Prop 29, which shut down dialysis clinics and threatened the lives of 80,000 California patients who need dialysis to survive. California voters have overwhelmingly rejected similar dialysis propositions twice. Stop yet another dangerous dialysis proposition. No Prop 29. So they're concerned about it because of the funding. They're concerned that the funding is going to be robbed to pay for said nurse, practitioner, physician, assistant, doctor. And a lot of places in rural communities, they don't have that amount of money to pay that. I know for a fact there's a town in Mendocino County that their hospital has one doctor for the emergency department. One. Um, and that's even a stretch. So if you, if you take that and you spread that out to clinics, it's just it's going to end up closing a lot of service and access for people that have dialysis needs. So let's go further in that. Let me get, look through my notes. I've got five minutes. I think the other ones are easier. <laughs> Some of these are tricky. Tricky trick trick. Mm. 
have more notes. Okay, Prop 29, initiative does five major things. This is the pro stance. Requires a physician, nurse practitioner, physician assistant to be in the clinic whenever patients are being treated. Second, dialysis patients are prone to infections. It can lead to more serious illness. It requires clinics to report data. Third, as life-saving care facilities, it requires dialysis corps to get approval from state before closing clinics and reducing services. Fourth, it prohibits cl- clinics from discriminating against patients because of their type of insurance and protects patients in every clinic. Fifth, increases transparency, helps makes patients inform decisions by their care, requiring clinics and dialysis corporations to close inf- disclose information on ownership. All of these sound like wonderful things, and they're this put forward by dialysis patient care technician Emmanuel. Gonzalez, President Baptist Ministers Conference in LA and dialysis patient advocate. These sound like sound ideas, but if they cannot afford to foot the bill, the result is loss of service and access, which will kill people. So again, Prop 29's bureaucratic requirements will force dialysis clinics throughout the state to cut back services or shut down, making it harder for patients to access their treatments. Every dialysis patient in California is under care of their own kidney doctor and treatments are administered. So the argument is we don't need to have them at every clinic. Their doctor is still involved in the care process. It may not be on site, but that person is there. They're not without a di- uh, kidney doctor watching over the care drive, care, care plan, and coordinating with the said clinic. So I agree. I agree, and I'm, I'm going no on uh, 29. Yeah. I don't want services to be removed because of the cost. Okay, Prop 30 provides funding for programs to reduce air pollution, prevent wildfires by increasing tax and personal income over $2 million. Um, So basically it taxed the rich program to fund the environment, essentially. Um, Yes, would be taxpayers would pay an additional tax of 1.75% of personal income above $2 million annually would support zero emission vehicles, programs, wildlife response, whatever. Against is the the issue that Lyft funded Prop 30 to have taxpayers meet their ZEV requirement 90% by 2030. So the con argument is Prop 30 raises taxes by 90 billion as long as 20 years, increasing costs for every Californian. Prop 30 will severely strain our struggling electrical grid. I don't know how that's going to happen, but risk of rolling blackouts, that was unclear. But a little argument was Lyft has funded billions, is it billions or millions of dollars to Prop 30, probably millions, to have taxpayers essentially fill in this uh, requirement for them to meet the new standards of ZEV, ZEV requirements, 90% um, versus traditional gas guzzlers by 2030. So Lyft and other share car share ride services don't want to have to come up with the money to meet that goal. So they want to have the taxpayers foot it. I mean, that's that's the kind of the issue. I um, I think people that have $2 million, though, probably, depending on, on what it boils down to, could help offset that. So because it's not going to affect anyone but those making over $2 million, I'm going to do qualified yes on 30, even though, yes, I also think that Lyft should have to pay their fair share. You know, uh, and so maybe this could be rene- renegotiated to have more of a pitch in. But if it's going to be funded by those making over two million, I think that's fair too. Okay, number thirty-one referendum. I got one minute left. 
on 2020 law that would prohibit retail sale of certain flavored tobacco products. I put no on 31 because we're trying, to, we're in the era now of trying to decriminalize the drugs and tobacco included. Yes, vote is in-person stores and vending machines could not sell most flavored tobacco products and banning it essentially limits choice, may or may not protect kids. The con... Prop 31 is adult prohibition. It's already illegal to sell tobacco, including to anyone under 21. It doesn't affect kids. What it will do is create um, underground markets that will increase crime and smuggling. Prohibition never works. Vote no on Prop 31. I agree. If you're over 21, you get to make a decision. We're in the era of decriminalizing all of this, and we don't want underground markets to get a foothold in our communities. So that is it. Props 1, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. Vote. Vote.